Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. So good to see you. If I haven't already said hello to you, welcome to Hope Church. It's so good to have you here this morning. So good to be together with you. I'm going to preach to you for a few minutes today, if that's all right. And if it's not all right, I'm going to preach to you for a few minutes anyway, because I'm the one with the microphone. Okay. Praise God. (laughs) How many of you know we've been in a series the past several weeks called Community Matters? Community Matters. And uh, we've, this I think is our third week, is this our third week? I think it is our third week on this subject. We were talking in the beginning of February about the vision of Hope Church. And uh, one, of the, one of the three components of the, church, of the vision that God has called us to is this idea of our community and having hope for our community. We've got hope for strong families. We've got hope for transformation in the presence of the Lord, and we've got hope for strong communities. Well, uh, I felt really impressed by the Lord to continue talking specifically about about our community. And so we've taken a passage out of the book of Acts chapter 2. So I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2. As you're turning, let's go ahead and make our weekly confession that we make that stirs up our faith to receive from God. Amen. I love declaring our confession together before I preach. It's just so much fun. You'll see it up on the screen there. If you guys can pull that up. There it is. Y'all, y'all, let's read this and declare this out loud over our lives together. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe we're growing in the things of God this morning. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 42. And we'll read down through verse 47. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them amongst all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to come before your word this morning. Lord, I thank you that the Bible declares that the entrance of your word gives light, that it brings revelation and illumination to our hearts that it schools us and teaches us in the ways of God, that it teaches us not just about knowledge about you, but it teaches us about how to know you, how to walk with you, how to live with you, in step with you. So today, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Teach us how to grow in our relationship with you. 
how to, how to draw nearer to you than we have been before. We give you the praise and thanksgiving for speaking to us by your word this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Just to, just to kind of tell you where we're at in this series and do just a moment of review, uh, and then we'll talk a little more thoroughly uh, on this passage. So we identified 10 things several weeks ago that come out of this passage that I think uh, it, it speak to what a healthy, God-centered church community is supposed to look like. What is community supposed to look like in a healthy church? And there's 10 things specifically. Number one, the preaching of the word. Number two, fellowship. Number three, eating together. Who would have thought that food could be spiritual? Number four, amen, prayer. Number five, reverence for God. Number six, miracles. Number seven, radical generosity. Number eight, contentment. Number nine, favor. And number 10, growth and salvation. These are things that, as we see in the early, in the early church, in the book of Acts, these are things that, com- that add up to what I believe a healthy church community should look like. So we've talked about the first three, the preaching of God's word. Last week, we talked about fellowship and eating together, because I think those two just go together really well. Amen? Uh, meals are better with people. That's right. Um, especially if you came from like a big family, you know, and it's just lots of people sitting around the table. That's just special. Um, So let me just review real quickly what we talked about last week regarding fellowship. We looked at this Greek word koinonia, uh, and and we found out what it means. We found out that it's actually a pretty big word. Y'all remember from last week if you heard the message. uh, It means fellowship. It means association. It means communion and joint participation. This word comes from the Greek root word koine, which means belonging to everyone. So when we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about something that belongs to everybody, that is inclusive of everybody. You know, um, we, we, we want to see anyone and everyone come to Jesus. Amen? Oh, boy, you missed a real good place to say amen. That's kind of the whole point of this, guys, is to see, like, everybody come to Jesus, right? So, like, yeah, we got to, like, really be settled on that, okay? Uh, but we, listen, but what, what, the, what the word fellowship really means is that everybody is welcome to come before the cross, lay their life down, and serve Jesus. And we talked about how radical this was to the first century mind, that it was so unique that, that a God would invite humans to be part of his family. Every other religious system in that time left people at arm's length away from whatever God, quote-unquote God, they were praying to. But here Christianity offers something that nobody had ever seen coming before. You get to be in the family of God, and it belongs to the whole family. Isn't that cool? So we said where there's biblical fellowship, where, where everything is belonging to and shared by everyone, my wins become your wins. My burdens become your burdens. My victories become your victories. Your victories become my victories. Your burdens become my burdens. We don't let you celebrate alone, and we don't let you suffer alone either. Because we're not meant to live in isolation. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to move forward today in this passage to number four, the next piece, which is prayer. How many of you are thankful for prayer? How many of you have a robust prayer life? How many of you would like to have a more robust prayer? prayer life. 
I think all of us, right? You know, just about the time you think you're getting real good at prayer, the Lord shows you, you not scratch the surface yet. Because how many know we serve a big, 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 big God? Amen? So as, as, as spiritually advanced in prayer as I may feel on any given one day, there's just a whole lot more in God that I have yet to experience. So um, look at verse 42 again, and we'll take our text from verse 42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread, and there it is, in prayer. You'll remember that I said this word steadfastly doesn't just apply to the apostles' doctrine. It applies to everything in this verse. And do you remember that the word steadfastly means to lean in like a race, like a, like a, uh, 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 a runner? Golly, I couldn't think of that word for all. Saved my life just now. Uh, uh, like a runner who's crossing the finish line leans in like this. That's what this word steadfast is in the Greek. That, that we need to be leaning into God's word, leaning into fellowship, leaning into the breaking of bread, and also leaning into prayer. That prayer ought not be just a one-time thing, just an occasional thing, but something that we pursue steadfastly. Amen? So I want to give you uh, three principles this morning that I believe will lead to a dynamic prayer life. Three principles this morning that will lead to a dynamic prayer life. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this one down. Our prayer life ought to be a consistent, confident conversation. A consistent, confident conversation. I made them all C words so that they're easy for you to understand and remember. Constant, confident conversation. I want to take a moment to talk about each one of those words and why each one of those words is significant and important in prayer. Number one, prayer ought to be consistent. Consistent. And I'm going I'm to say this and I want you to, uh, well, just take note of it. Let the Lord minister it to your heart. You are never more effective in prayer than when you are consistent in prayer. You are never more effective in prayer than when you are consistent in prayer. Uh, there's a quote by a gentleman that I really love and value and appreciate, uh, Dr. John C. Maxwell. And he says this. He says, we overestimate what we can do in one day, and we underestimate what we can do in many days. We overestimate what we can do in one day, and we underestimate what we can do over many days. He said, if you were chopping down a tree, let's say you had a tree in your backyard, what do you think would be a more effective way to chop down the tree? To try to get the whole thing down with 5,000 chops of the axe today? Or to take five chops of the axe every single day and cut it down over the course of a week or a month? Obviously, the easier thing, the more beneficial thing, is to take five swings a day. We're never, we're never at a greater level of prayer in our lives than when we are consistent in our prayer. It's much better for you to have 10 minutes every single day that you have earmarked and dedicated for the Lord than to go, you know what, I'm going to be a super spiritual Christian today and pray for six hours. Good luck making it six minutes. Amen. It's just true. How do I know? Because I've been that guy. I've been that guy. 
I can remember. I can remember in high school, we we had come back from several missions trips. Me and my friends were so on fire for God in high school. We just were. My gosh. And I remember waking up uh, and and just one day actually after church, and I was coming home, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm gonna pray for two hours every morning from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Does anybody know an 18-year-old that will wake up at 5 a.m.? I don't know of anybody that will do it. I might have done it one morning. And then you know what happens. You start to tell yourself, well, you know, God understands. (laughs) You know, you've been there. And, and, and five becomes 5.30 and becomes six and, and becomes 8.30. And then I'll catch the Lord on the bus on the way to school. <laughs> I, I, I think sometimes we, we try to carve out a huge percentage of our life thinking that we're noble in offering that to God. But I like this thought a whole lot better. If you only have 10 minutes but you give God 100% of your 10 minutes, he'll overwhelm your life. And guess what? Then the 10 minutes will become 15, and then it'll become 20, and it'll become an hour, and then before you know it, you'll be praying like a house on fire. You see, we're never more effective in prayer than when we're consistent in prayer. Anybody who's gotten good at anything will tell you it's because they did it more than once. Nobody, I've had this conversation with my kids many times. Nobody is a master at anything the first time. Nobody with anything. I mean, even if you're super gifted, you're not the best at anything the first time you try it. Amen. It takes time. Do you know that 40 to 50% of what we do every single day is done by habit? There are unconscious decisions that we make every single day of our lives. What if prayer became a habit? What if prayer became just as important a part of your schedule as any of the meetings you have, as any of the lunches that you've got scheduled, as anything else in your schedule? What if prayer became that important? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us this, pray without ceasing. It's a very short scripture. Pray without ceasing. I, I used to read that and be like, doggone. Like, pr- like re- pray without, like, without ceasing? Like, what about when I got to go to the bathroom? Like, what if I, what if somebody just say pray through it? <laughs> Amen. Well, you know, depending on how much pizza you had, you might have to. <laughs> Amen. God bless. Okay. All right. Frankie, you and the worship team come back up. We need to start the service over. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, that was great. <clears throat> oh, where was I? Yeah. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I used to think that that meant like just all the time without ever stopping. But I think the point of this verse is not that we do nothing except pray in our lives, but that we train our hearts to pray until we get somewhere with God. Pray until something happens. Pray uh, without stopping until we arrive at the thing that we're praying for. 
Now, maybe it doesn't happen in one time. Maybe it doesn't happen in two, three, five, or ten times. Maybe prayer should become a lifestyle so that when we, when we do pray about something, we stay with it long enough over many days, and then the tree falls down. And we get to go, look what the Lord has done. What if your prayer life was five swipes at, with the axe at that tree every day? Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 tells us to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Notice the word continue. You can't continue in something you haven't started in. Selah. Think about it. Selah is a Hebrew word that means think about it. Selah. I can't continue in something that I've not even initiated in yet. Maybe prayer needs to be a bigger part of our lives. E.M. Bounds says our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires and a persistency which will not be denied and a courage that never fails. Let me read it to you one more time. Our praying needs to be pressed and pursued with an energy that never tires, a persistency which will not be denied, and a courage that never fails. That's E.M. Bounds. He wrote a, a library of books on the subject of prayer. Very, very rich teaching on prayer. Let me take you to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. Our prayer needs to be consistent. Romans chapter 12. Everybody doing all right this morning? Amen. Me too. Our prayer life needs to be a consistent, confident conversation. Listen to Romans 12, verse 12. It says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. This is the pattern of a Christian life. Now, we said that prayer needs to be consistent, confident conversation. Let's talk about confidence in prayer for a moment. This is sometimes a difficult concept for us to grasp because we understand that we're talking to God, right? How many of you realize when you're, when you're praying... You're, not, you're talking to God. You're not just spouting words, you know, up in the atmosphere. We're talking to the great I am. We're talking to the God of heaven and earth. We're, we have the ear of the one who created the universe. So sometimes that, you know, conceptually is, is overwhelming as it should be. And sometimes because of that, we're afraid to be confident when we speak to God. Has anybody besides me ever felt that way before? You feel like, oh my gosh, I'm talking, I'm talking to God. And, and sometimes that reality of talking and conversing with the Almighty, sometimes that's an overwhelming and can be an intimidating reality. And because of that, oftentimes we shrink back in our confidence. But I'm here to tell you that God invites your confidence when you pray. Amen. It's quiet in here. God invites your confidence when you pray. 
Meaning, God doesn't want you to come to him with wishy-washy prayers. Y'all know what I mean when I say wishy-washy? <laughs> like, oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's me, Lord. Here's, here's what I was thinking, okay? I was kind of just wondering, you know, if, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> I know you're big. I know you got a lot going on up there. So if you just, if you could just, uh, do I, you still, you got me? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, good. Uh, I, I was just kind of wondering if you wouldn't mind, like, helping me in my marriage. Is that okay? Is that it's okay to ask that? God actually doesn't want you to come to him that way. And I got scriptures to prove it. Amen. Exodus 33, 11. Let's go look at Exodus 33, 11 for just a moment. I want you to see something here that I think is pretty amazing. Exodus 33, verse 11. It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Isn't that incredible? The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. Isn't that incredible? That blows my mind. That I can have a face to face relationship with God. God and Moses enjoyed the liberty of speaking face to face as friends do. And guess what? This was under the inferiority of the old covenant. You and I are part of a reality called the new covenant, which means that God now lives in us, that God has actually made his home inside of us, that we are now, we are new creations in Christ, and the spirit of the living God has made his home and his environment in us. So if Moses could enjoy a face-to-face -face relationship with God, and at the very best, that's as close as he could get, what do you and I have access to in this new covenant called grace where that same God actually lives in us? I don't want to, I don't want to undermine the reality of the bigness and grandeur of God. I don't want to undermine the reality that God is the sovereign king of the universe. He is the king of everything. And I don't want to undermine that reality. However, you need to know that when you come before the great I am, you have an audience with him. And he wants you to pray with confidence. Amen. I want to look at 1 John chapter 5 real quickly. This is a scripture that will help us in this area. Y'all doing okay still? Amen. I know I'm just taking my time and moving methodically this morning. I hope that's all right. 1 John chapter 5, it's towards the end of the Bible. And we're going to begin reading verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Look what it says. Right from the get-go, or from Jump Street, as Frankie likes to say. Right from Jump Street, look what God says. This is the 
confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. I don't know about you or how you read that scripture, but to me, that's a big, giant green light. That's a big green light. Pass, go. Collect $200. Okay? It's a Monopoly joke for those born after 1988. (laughs) Listen, I have confidence when I approach God. Why? Not not just because he's the, the ruler, the sovereign Lord of the universe, but more than that, he's my father. I don't know if you had a good relationship with your dad or not. I've had a great relationship with my dad in my life. And you know what? When I want to talk to dad, I just talk to dad. Because he's my dad. Who'd have knew? Who knew it was as easy as just talking to God like a father? Because he is your father. And if you didn't have a good dad, maybe that's not something that you're used to then, hey, guess what? Try it out with your heavenly father. Because he's listening and he cares. And you can have confidence. Look at verse 14 again. This is the confidence we have in what? In him. I'm in him. You're in him. There's a relationship. Amen. You know what goes away when you have relationship with someone? Awkward formality. Right? Awkward formality. Listen, if I go to Buckingham Palace tomorrow to have an audience with the king, it's going to be pretty awkward. There's going to be a lot of formality. Right? Why? Because that's the way it works. We don't have a relationship. I have to, you know, bow and salute and do whatever else I would have to do to speak to a dignitary like that. But the minute you start having relationship with someone, you know what goes away? The awkward formality. How many of you have ever, you know, you you have a friend that you just go way back, and when they call you on the phone, you don't answer like, hello, this is Joshua Thurman speaking. (laughs) Right? When my friends call me, you know what I say? Yo, what's up? Hey, what you doing? With some of my friends, when they call, I go, by God. (laughs) That's how I answer the phone. Why? Because the awkward formality is gone. I'm not saying we don't have reverence. What I am saying is that the, the, the awkwardness disappears when there's relationship. Can I tell you that if you struggle to talk to God freely, it may be because you're not confident in your relationship with him. Oh, I know that's a real good amen, goosebumps. Oh, no, that's not a that's not a tingly kind of revelation, but it's one that'll help you. <laughs> this is the confidence we have in Him. I got to keep going. The word confidence in the Greek here is the word paresia, and this is what it means: freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, open. And frank, without concealment, without ambiguity, 
without the use of figures and comparisons, free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. That's what that one Greek word means. Do you want me to read it to you again? This word confidence in 1 John 4, 5 means freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, open, frank, without concealment, without ambiguity, without the use of figures and comparisons, free and fearless and confident, cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. When's the last time you prayed with free and fearless confidence? Huh? When's the last time you prayed with free and fearless confidence? There's nothing worse than when somebody is talking to you and they won't get to the point. Just out with it already. Anybody got kids in here that do this? Um, Dad, could I, you know, I was thinking, we were talking, me and the girls were talking, and we just, we were just wondering if maybe, like, if, you, if it was okay with you, then we were thinking that maybe later on today, after we did, after we cleaned our room, and we did all like, the stuff that you wanted us to do, and then we were thinking that if, if, if you could, after that, if maybe, maybe, we could just maybe watch six hours of television. <laughs> And, and as a parent, you're just, you're just, come on, kid, let's go. I got stuff to do. Get to it. Get to the point. Nobody likes a bush beater around her. You know what I'm talking about? You just beat around the bush. But listen, our prayer, when there's no faith in our prayer, that's what we do. We beat around the bush with God. That's what we do. We try, and, and, here's, and here's why it's a problem. God's not interested in bargaining with you. He's not interested in bargaining with you. The contract's already been signed in Jesus' blood. You're free because the Son sets you free, so you're free indeed. God's not interested in waging a, a, a conversation where we bargain and go back and forth and let's see if we can come to an agreement. The agreement's been signed. God bless, man. Pray with some confidence for crying out loud. Oh. Confidence. Listen, I, I, you got to understand this. It's not offensive to God. It's not offensive to the Lord to pray with confidence. Lord, you see my life. You know, because listen, you're not hiding anything from God anyway. Lord, you see exactly where I am. You know exactly what's going on. Father, here's my need, and here's the promise that you said in your word, and I'm choosing to believe you in that promise, and I know that you're going to come through for me because that's the kind of God that you are. So here's what I'm asking you for. Be bold. Be confident. Just come out and say it, man. Amen? I know I'm getting a little heated about this. I need to, for your sake. Amen. All right. Our prayer should be consistent, confident conversation. Last part for today, conversation. Our prayer life is a two-way street with our God. It's a two-way street. Amen. If your prayer life is one-sided, then you probably want to take a step back and examine it. 
And I've done this in my own life. Where I'm praying and praying and talking and talking and talking and never listening. Never stopping to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me back? I'm just running my mouth off. (laughs) You see, listen, the, the point of these three words and the reason I put them together the way I did is because these three things will keep your life, your prayer life balanced. Because you can get too confident and go to God and just spout all your things and then never listen for him to respond. So prayer needs to be a conversation. Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you don't know. This verse ought to give you all the faith you need to begin to go to God in confidence that he's listening, but number two, in in confidence of the reality that he wants to have a conversation with you. The prayer life is not just about me blabbing to God for six hours, but it's about him speaking back into my life. This reality of God answering us when we pray is unique to Christianity. No other worldview offers us a God we can converse with. Think about that. No other worldview offers us a God that we can converse with. All over the world right now, there are people who are just doing their best to try to get a message to their deity. I'll never forget, there was a story I heard of a, of a youth group that went and traveled um, over into Asia, and I, and I don't remember whether they were in the nation of Nepal or whether they were in the nation of Tibet, but they were there and they were visiting a monastery. And as they were in this monastery, there was a, a monk in the monastery who was throwing this piece of wood up in the air repeatedly as this act of prayer, this, uh, you know, some kind of ritual that he had. And, and he, the, one of the young people that was there that was a Christian asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, make penance and talk to my God. And I just love the boldness of teenagers when the fire of the Holy Ghost gets on them. Because he just said, hey man, let me talk to you about the God that made the wood you're throwing up in the air. And ministered the life of Jesus to him. But I've never forgotten that story because it stands as such a stark reminder in my mind of the reality that there are people everywhere throwing up Hail Marys trying to get through to God. What I mean by Hail Marys is like a football pass, not the Catholic prayer, although that actually falls into this category as I think about it. So, but you know the end of the game. There's four seconds left, and they're on the 20-yard line, and they got to huck it down the field to try to get a touchdown. It's called a Hail Mary. We're going to give it our last good attempt. And there's people's prayer lives that are like that all the time. But Christianity offers something that the world nowhere else offers. That's the chance to connect with and converse with the God that we serve. I'm not out here throwing wood logs in the air. I'm not out here burning fires and sacrificing. I'm not out here doing like the prophets of Baal, cutting myself, trying to get God to hear me. I don't have to do any of that. All I have to do is continually and confidently converse with my father. That's prayer, friends. That's prayer. I 
It's no wonder the Bible refers to idols as dumb. Not just because they're stupid, but because they can't speak. Let me read to you three scriptures and we'll close with these. Psalm chapter 91 in verse 15. Listen to the promises. These three scriptures are God's promise to us that he will speak to us. Psalm 91 verse 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Again, I understand that sometimes this ruffles our feathers because it makes God real personal. And maybe you weren't used to having a God that was this personal. But here's the reality. You can't, you can't, you know, get, you can't disbelieve this stuff and then get mad when it doesn't work for you. It's just... He will call upon me, and I will answer him. Look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145. This is so beautiful. Verse 18. What a promise. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. The Lord is near to all who Call upon him. You understand God is going to respond when you pray. Isaiah 65, 24, this is the last verse. Isaiah 65:24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking. I will hear. Oh my gosh. Did you see that? Is that in your Bible too, or is it just in mine? It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. If you read this verse in context of what Isaiah is saying, both before and after, you know what you find out? The, the it shall come to pass that he's talking about is the new covenant. This, this passage, if you read through it, is talking about a future promise and a future prophecy of the new covenant coming to pass in our lives. So what Isaiah is saying is it's not happening right now, but there's going to come a day when, there is a, when there's something called the new covenant and people who believe in the name of Jesus. And when that happens, it's going to come to pass that they, before they call, I'll answer and while they're still speaking, I will hear. So you and I have the benefit of looking at a scripture like this on the other side of the 